Why, hello, Thrivers. What is a Thriver, you ask? If you're a Thriver, it means you're a fan of this show. That's right. While you're all Thrivers in my heart, there's a more official way to become one, if you catch my drift. Go to www.patreon.com slash MrThrive to become a patron to this exciting opportunity for exclusive content, live updates, experimental media, insights, and more, all to keep you more in the action. Become a Thriver today at patreon.com slash MRThrive. Enjoy the show. I'm feeling a very relaxed vibe. Are you feeling relaxed? Yeah. I'm feeling relaxed. You have stumbled upon Stars of Tomorrow, where every Friday, I, Mr. Thrive, interview someone like director and screenwriter, Christopher Adon, who's yet to be discovered. This up-and-coming podcast talks with the up-and-coming. You know, every now and then, I do like a different like approach to that opening, and I think that's the first time that anyone has ever like put on their most epic their most epic, like, narrator voice. The like, action-packed narrator voice. <laughs> I like that voice a lot. Thank you. You have to, you know. <laughs> did, did you ever... Have you ever used that voice ever in any in any one of your movies? I Not in my movies, but a lot of uh, friends in my um, college. Okay. Um, when sometimes they're doing, like, projects and stuff, I've sure. done some little narrations for them. Sure. I played, like... I've done an evil villain for one of my friends who was working on an animated... Um, his th- his um, film thesis is an animated short, and I did a villain for them, and um, I used to do TA for the high school program of our school, so I used to do a lot of voiceovers for them as well. That's pretty epic, I gotta say, and I like the I like your villain voice or your or your your cinematic trailer action movie voice. What <laughs> yeah. would you What would you call it? What do you think? It- I would say yeah, like my uh, trying to impersonate Don Lafontaine, you know, who did all the voiceover for trailers oh of course yeah so yeah you know your classic in a world (laughs) (laughs) coming soon to a theater near you but you do it so much better (laughs) you really do man that's awesome thank you but you're not a voice actor you're a director and screenwriter yeah and um on top of that you're dating uh our guest from episode four Nicole Holmes, which yes. is how I learned about you. And I was like, wow, <laughs> we, let's bring him on the show. Yes. I watched your movie Coven, and I loved it. It was really, it's really interesting. I really like the political dynamic you added into this black magic kind of world. Thank you. Do you mind elaborating on that a little bit? Yeah. So basically, um, for anyone who hasn't seen the movie, um, Coven is the story of a witch princess who's struggling with the choice of uh, becoming queen or losing the love of her life. And it takes place in a uh, different realm that is uh, ruled by witches and where it's always nighttime. And uh, one of the ideas that I had on uh, when I started working on the film was, you know, I wanted to write a world where it was basically full of, like, really strong uh, female characters that not only... Um, have like great character development, but have a very very strong presence on screen. How how do you do that as a male? Like how do you get to that point? If you don't mind me asking. Um, I would say um, I since I was little, I always, all my friends have been, women, so I want to say I've I've been around women a lot where I understand. I want to say, as a guy, 
I I understand a bit more than just like your typical hey girls are pretty and they're the sexual driven character on film or whatever you know and I try to be like hey you know it's just another character that is on a film that just happens to be a woman I don't want to like put it on a pretty dress just so she can look pretty and walk and scream and do something like that. So I feel like that's something that a lot of uh, guy filmmakers who are writing uh, female characters don't understand. Where it's like, oh, they want to have a woman in a film. Let's just have her pretty so she can be the face, you know, of the film. And, like, just make her be the girlfriend and stuff like that. And, you know, I want, I want, to, I want to make sure that the character that I create makes that actress who's playing that character feel proud of, like, hey, I did that character, you know? Totally. I feel like, potentially on your end, there probably were a lot of experiences where there may have been, like, a lot of hype around, like, a a film in Hollywood coming out, and then it was possibly met by disappointment uh, because of how they treated women on screen. Yeah. Uh, And that's unfortunate, because I think I felt that later on in my life. I think I formally considered myself a feminist probably middle of college around there let's hold up for that the police cars there <laughs> they're very busy today apparently yeah and it, it sucks when you're doing like stuff like this you know for example see here here's here's something interesting when we were shooting coven okay um we were doing this one of the like the most uh, intense scenes in the film, right? Mm-hmm. With this very heavy dialogue between our two main characters. And, you know, rehearsals were fine. Everything was quiet. The moment we start rolling, a police helicopter just decides to start circling our soundstage in our school. <laughs> For what purpose? I have no idea. I don't know if, like, there was, like, a if they were following someone or something. Sure. But it's like, yeah, the person was in our rooftop. That's like literally how it felt. Because it was like, they were just circling the school. And I was like, great. Am yeah. I going to shoot my film or no? Right. That's obnoxious. <laughs> it set you back a little bit. I'm sure for the assistant director that gave him or her a headache. Yeah. Huh? Uh, Ashley, our assistant director, sure. she, she was like, okay, I'm just going to not. <laughs> you, right. Right. <laughs> Because there's nothing you can do. You you're just kind of at the at the will of of this helicopter. Yep. I wonder if that pilot even knows what he's doing. Like when right? the, when the pilot's flying over, do you think he's like, ah, I know there's a film going on down there. This right? is the art school. Like, yeah. He's like, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna fuck their takes up. You know, that, <laughs> yeah. that's basically like right. Like what I guess that person is feeling. You know, like and it, and it wouldn't surprise me if at least a few helicopter pilots or airplane pilots out there have done that. Because passer buyers and cars do that all the time. If I, I've been on sets where like we were right next to a road, a passing by car would, would see that we're on set and they would drive by, speed away and honk their horn really violently for no good reason, just because they can. <laughs> wow. and, and it's like, did, did you feel better about yourself? <laughs> are, you, are you happy you ruined that take? Because that was a perfectly good fucking right? take. Yeah. You asshole. Yeah, I f- speaking of asshole, the staff in my school, okay, uh, they do that a lot. What, what's what school is that? Uh, Columbia College Hollywood. Okay, um, you know it's like it's great people, but in the in the past we had this problem where like uh, sometimes we were shooting. Uh, we have two sets inside the uh, the school. One is a, a pub set, and the other one is a living room set. And uh, sometimes we had like you know people walking in heels, and, and you'd be in the middle of taking here. 
and we'd be like quiet on set they wouldn't shut up so one time i was doing a, a film and uh someone was passing by talking really loud and walking on hills and i was like quiet on set this is a take living rooms rolling quiet on set they wouldn't shut up so i just went and screamed the asshole with the heels can you shut up good what they do and they just kept quiet and I kept rolling and uh, the person saw me later and, and he's like, you just called me an asshole. I was like, well, you didn't shut up. I was trying to say it politely. Right. And then what they do after that? <laughs> they were like, you know what, kid? I respect that. Really? <laughs> so this woman respect, I'm assuming it's a woman yeah. in high heels. <laughs> yeah. It was respected that, wow. Yeah. Hey, I mean, I mean, that's how you know you're at an arts college. I, you know, I, I felt sorry because, you know, I I respect everyone in my school, but I'm like, hey, I'm paying f- to be here. And yeah, I can't shoot my project because right. someone is walking in heels and they won't stop. Well, I mean, so it sounds like then you're just not afraid to, to tell people to, to shut the fuck up. No, but not even just to shut the fuck up, but also to to stay at bay, to do their job. Yeah. And has it ever worked against you? In that assertiveness? Um, I want to say maybe in high school. How so? Um, where, uh, so when I was in high school, I was part of uh, what's called the ESOL program, which is the kids who are learning English. Um, and one time, one of the teachers, um, she saw my friends and I and, and started talking crap about us in English, thinking we didn't understand. And I turned around and said, well, excuse me if you think that we are wetbacks, but we can actually understand your ass. She called you a wetback? Yeah. we. I had that a lot in, 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 in my high school. That's yeah. disgusting. Yeah. And um, I was like, you know, we actually understand you. And I say, we understand your ass. And she got so offended and got sent to the principal's office. And then <laughs> my mom came to the school and my mom and the like the teachers were like to my mom yeah but he disrespected i was like and my mom was like excuse me my son got called a word when you fucking think that he he was disrespecting someone the mental block yeah. of not understanding that that is a horrible term to call someone it's not even the the, the right term yeah it's incorrect because you're not from mexico yeah you're from honduras yeah right and my mom gave me a high five in front of the principal and then we went to get food later. Good. Yeah, my mom. This is like it was a good victory meal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My mom was the one who told me to never shut up if someone is doing something wrong and you feel it's wrong. Right. You know. So that's that's my that's where I get that attitude. You know. That's that's exactly how it should be. Before this podcast started recording, we did a little live stream warm up as we always do. Uh, if you guys are on Instagram, go ahead and follow. Mr. Thrive, that is MR period Thrive, to go check out those uh, live streams that kind of happen sporadically throughout the week. You'll just have to get lucky and find them. They're pretty awesome and fun to watch. <laughs> but um, on that live stream, Chris was telling me about his mom a little bit, and you told me something really funny. Because I, I, I pulled up the scenario like, hey, you know what you should do? You should steal that woman. You should steal this family's turkey. And then I facetiously asked, so how would you do it? And Chris actually had an answer, and that blew me away. And I, I just want you to share that answer. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> if my mom was here with me, which, you know, uh, so you want me to go back to that story? Oh, yes, please. Um, so when I was, I want to say, like, 13, uh, me and my mom were walking in, in Miami, Florida, 
by the weather streets and um there was a party we saw a party going on and my mom looked at me and she said are you hungry and uh, i was like yeah and then she's like okay we walked in and i was like oh we are in this party and i was like but we don't know anyone here my mom just went shh, shh, shh. And she just like started like started talking with everyone. She's like, oh my god, you know, long time I haven't seen Carmencita, and you know, like oh they didn't know that oh she's gotten so big and stuff. Like just by hearing people talk, my mom made a whole story of how she knew the girl in the birthday and how like she was friends with the family and we got food and we actually stayed in the whole party and nobody knew that we were just complete strangers from outside. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's great. That, no, it's hysterical. It's, it's, it's great. No, I, I need to try that one day. I don't think I could be as slick as her. What's your mom's name? Uh, Saida. Saida. Yeah. Very cool. I love that name. <laughs> uh, Saida, if you're, when, if you're listening to this, I want you to know that I want you on the podcast. You don't have to be entertainment industry related. <laughs> I just want you on the podcast. Cause why not? <laughs> <laughs> she won't understand nothing we're saying though just well, okay well you just have to translate it, I yes, suppose. yes. <laughs> she would be glad though I, I tell you that i'm 23 and my mom is funner than me <laughs> i have those scenarios every now and then yeah I'm, like i'm not as fun as that person yeah but they're older than me yeah it's like you know i'm done i'm that one latino person who's like is the least latino person in the world why is that um, you don't like spicy food? Well, not only that. Uh, oh, really? Uh, well, because in my... So, this is like a lot of things, you know, like... Um, Mexicans are the one that usually eat spicy food. Okay. In Central America, we don't eat a lot of spicy food. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but my family disowned me when I told them that I don't like football, which is soccer. Yeah, you know? right. Um, and, you know, that's a big thing. And my mom, I remember when I said, I was like, I find no interest in seeing a bunch of people passing a ball. And my mom said, what are you? <laughs> like, she looked at me with like, did I really get birth to you? Like, she the, that look, you know? And I was like, great, thanks. <laughs> so since that, I was always na- known as the black sheep in the family. Okay. Yeah. And, like, I feel like Nicole, my own girlfriend, is more Latina than I am. Like, sometimes she, really? like, yeah, she would pick me up from school or whatever. And she's, like, jamming into, like, you know, reggaeton or, like, Latino music. Like, I would walk into the car and I'd be like, hi. And she'd be like, despacito. Like, just jamming. <laughs> no, no, no. But des- despacito does not count. That is the most white <laughs> Spanish song that exists. You no, and I both know well, it. But see, this is the thing. Sometimes, like, she's listening to Latino music. Yeah. I would never know, like, so what you, song this, they are. You never heard this? No, I never heard. No, no, like, she, she, she sometimes is listening to Latino songs that I don't even know they existed. Like, I, I'm like, the other day she was listening to something and I was like, how do you know that song? I was like, oh, I like this song. I was like... I didn't even know that song existed. <laughs> it's like I was like, great, you would fit so well with my family, right? Yeah, she she has this charisma that you know, like she fits right in into the Latino culture. Well, then that's perfect. She just has to learn Spanish now. She is learning Spanish. Oh, like, she is learning Spanish. Yeah, I I taught her a, a um. So I introduced her to Honduran food. Okay. Uh, and she loves it. Okay. And so now she actually knows how to order her favorite dish in the restaurant. Like, 
legit, you know? That's amazing. And, yeah, and but sometimes, you know, like, I, I tell her a word, and she would like, oh, no, fuck that. I can't say that. <laughs> she's like, that's too complicated. Uh, but well, at least she knows her limits. Yeah, she, she, and, and, she's, and she's learning. she's building up to it. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. It, it's funny, though. You were talking about music, and right before you came, I was... <laughs> Of all the things, I, I just, like, I needed, like, some, like, just some brain fluff while I ate my lunch earlier. So I turned on TV, and I went on Netflix, and then I saw Parks and Rec. And, um, you know, there's this character who he was, like, being scrutinized for only having soundtracks on his <laughs> on his playlist. And he's, like, and he's like why are you bagging on my soundtracks? And the girl's like, well, why, why are you such a nerd? And the <laughs> guy says back, well, it's because like I, the way I look at it is like a director just making a mixtape for me, and I was like, "Huh?" I was like, "Oh, I like that. That's a yeah. good quote." And I thought about it, I was like, "Yeah." Every time I listen to a Quentin Tarantino film, first thing I do is I look up what that director put together. Yeah, you know. Uh, same thing with Baby Driver. Baby Driver is just a giant mixtape music video. Yeah, and it's so much fun to watch. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Uh, but if you were to create a mixtape, what 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 would the music entail? Um, I myself, I love a lot, uh, just listen to a lot of like film scores. Okay. Um, and a lot of classical music. Like I'm an all soul. Um, so like if you go to my iTunes playlist, uh, you'll find like, you know, uh, scores from Star Wars or, um, some of these scores from the Avengers or, uh, classical Disney music. Or Beethoven, or I'm a big follower, which my girlfriend introduced me to, uh, Postmodern Jukebox. Oh, yeah, Postmodern Jukebox is great. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm a big follower of their music, and, um, so yeah, that, I feel like my, my main five songs in that mix would be, uh, one, of course it has to be, uh, the main theme for Star Wars. Okay, yeah, of course. Um. It's a great feeling. Yeah, Jurassic Park. Sure. Um... I would go with the Portals theme from Avengers Endgame. Oh my god, so epic. Yeah. And uh, the egg theme from Finding Nemo. Yeah, that's a cute, that's a cute theme for sure. Yeah, those those would be like my main, um, like, things. And like, it's music that I never get tired of listening, actually. Sure, yeah. You know? So... You know, it's funny with with me. There's like certain uh, this, I find this all the time, like on a on a drive when I'm driving by, my, by myself to work, or I'm driving to my girlfriend's place. You know, places that I commonly go to, um, my best friend's place, Josh. You know, I'll oftentimes be you know driving, uh, you know, to that direction. But there's something about like the certain spot that I pass by, where I'm like, oh, I need to play this song. Yeah, and I play that song, and so like. I listen to some video game soundtracks. Uh, I listen to a lot of uh, EDM and rap sometimes these days. Uh, now, I mean, like, I, my that, that's not to say that my, my taste isn't eclectic. Like, on a rainy day like today, I played the lo-fi beats. Uh, also played some coffee table jazz, which is a really great playlist on Spotify. You know, I yeah. just, you know, there's just like certain cues where I'm like, no, 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 this needs this kind of song right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I feel I feel that way too. Like I feel like when I'm in a car, um, I have what it's called uh, car uh, dolly tracking music. What? What is that? So it's like songs that you can hear, and it, let's say if you're like just watching the road and like you see like you know the road passing by, the song that you're listening to 
or the theme song you're listening to matches that. Matches where the road is? I'm confused. Or, no, I'm saying, like, uh, let's say you're, like, you know, you're driving, right? Okay. And then um, you're looking at a house, and then the, as the car moves, the house, like, it's driving away. Okay. So I, I always have moments when I'm listening to music where that, like, specific, what I'm looking at, it matches what I'm listening to. Oh, like, I it would see. be um, uh, a shot in a movie. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah like... I get that. One, one song that always does that is um, I Want to Know What Love Is by Forner. Okay, sure. Uh, and then um, I'd say it also... <laughs> Try everything from Zootopia. <laughs> I know two songs that have nothing related to each other. Those are both perfectly perfect songs. <laughs> they really are. Yeah. No judgment. <laughs> I know, right? My music teacher would kill me just by saying just by saying those two. But you know what though? Is what you're doing is it seems like you're mentally envisioning something and almost practicing the making of movies by just listening to music and it eventually will lead to your success. That's that's the thing, like you know how like some actors are method of like they're getting into character by doing something. Right. I would say I am a method writer. I love that. The where, method writer. Where um when I write a scene or something, um I have to be listening to music or a certain music. Like when I was writing Coven, I would always be listening to classical music, Victorian music, or just like simply um, you know how in YouTube you have, like, a uh, 12-hour cello to go to sleep? Right. So I would listen to stuff like that, like, really dark music. And sometimes that would influence scenes. And um, and then it, it's, it becomes uh, very easy to me to work with my editor because I give my editor a list of music that I got inspired on writing the scenes. And... Uh, uh, when she listens to the music, she has a better idea on how to cut the films. Because I also like to write to music and direct to music as a, as a like you know like uh, what you be like beat beat to beat you know like um, and when I was talking to my composer, that was something really important that I wanted to do with the film. Um, which um, when when you watch the film, you can tell there's a lot of moments that match to the music immediately. Because that's always something that I liked with, you know, with movies like Star Wars or um, or Hans Zimmern's course, where he matches to the picture of two character entrances or like just even the titles of the music. So that's something I always really liked. And that's one something that I want to do with my work as well. I think you should. I, I definitely could see uh, how capitalizing on that could lead to success. And I think that's really amazing. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, those motivations that you kind of mentioned earlier, you kind of mentioned uh, that you've always looked to strong female characters, always kind of related more to women. Um, why is that? And do you think that it was just a matter of like being around the wrong dudes? Or um, I, So, I don't know. I, I always grew up around women mm -hmm. because, um, so, you know, half of my childhood, I lived it in Honduras and my dad uh, was here. And my dad would only come once a year to Honduras to see us. So it would be either for Christmas or around summer. So half of the year I was with my mother and my grandma and um, all their friends were women and stuff. So I, I always grew up around women. So even when I started school, all my friends were girls. Uh, so I always associated myself more with women than with men. 
Um, and I guess that helped me a lot understanding and write, writing characters because, you know, I see more... Um, I always have friends and I, I inspire some of the characters and some of my friends or things that my friends would do or events that happen in their lives that, you know, that triggered me to write that into the character and stuff like that. So, yeah, I always, um, even till today, you know, I, uh, in the films that I've made so far, there's only like one guy in the film. Really? Yeah. Like, uh, I did, um, I did a Star Wars fan film like two years ago. And it was only two guys. It was uh, our bounty hunter and our Sith Lord. And then the rest of the cast were all women. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I think that's I think that's great that you're doing that. I think there's a lot of women out there that would appreciate the efforts that you're doing. Because it sounds like you're not just doing it because uh, that's, quote unquote, the right thing to do in today's climate in Hollywood. But yeah. because that's actually what you're inspired by. Yeah. And it's, it's something, you know, that I love seeing when I'm pitching the character to the actors that I want to work with. Like when I started casting for Coven, um, I pitched to them, you know, all um, when I was talking to one of my actors, her name is Katrine. And um, when I uh, gave her the pitch on her character. So she plays Midnight. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, Midnight is this, Midnight is that. And she's like, oh my God, I've never done a character like this where she has a complete background story. <laughs> and she, I was like, yeah. So when we meet in person, get a pen and paper. And um, we ha- we met and she was like, oh my God, this is so much information. Like I've and never... And she said that in a positive way. Yeah. Like she was really excited because, you know, like she had like, you know, before... Um, she had to build her own character background and stuff. And I was like, oh, no, girl, I got you. Like, <laughs> I have, I've been working in your character for four years. Right. And, and so she was really happy because, you know, like all the questions that she had, like, she'll be like, Chris, so, and what, why, why is she feeling this way? And then I would give her every, like, detail on the character. And she was really, really, like, excited. So, so when it comes to the shooting day, she she felt more confident, you know, because um, not only I gave her an amount of information, but I make sure that she was comfortable with everything that uh, she was happening in her character. You know, one of the things that I, I always like to do is I like to explain everything that, that the actor is going to do. You know, I, I hate directors who, like, you, you hire an actor and then... Uh, the actor comes into the set and then they're like, oh, by the way, there's a kissing scene today that you have to do. Yeah, it's bullshit. You know, that's like, that's dumb. One, it's unprofessional and that shouldn't happen. Because let, let me just take this human being and tell her to break boundaries that are personal to her without any warning. Yeah. I mean, that is just manipulative and wrong, you know? Yeah. It's attitudes like that that kind of created the Hollywood that we know. Yeah. From yesterday. Yeah. But... You know, you're tomorrow's Hollywood. Yeah. You, you have the potential to be. Yeah. You know? And that's that's what you should be proud of. Yeah. So it's like that was those were things that, you know, I always like to get out of the way. Like, you know, when we when we I was casting Katrine as Midnight and then Emily as Trin, I was like, uh, you both are in a relationship. So there is a scene that you guys are kissing. So, you know, I was like, are you comfortable kissing another person? Are you comfortable kissing another woman? Those were things that we had to get out of the way. If you know? she had said no to any of those things, what would happen then? Um, we could either, you know, find a way for them not to kiss or, uh, alter it somewhere in the, in the story because, or just move on with someone else. Um, but you know, I always like to make sure that the actors are comfortable. And even though she would have said no, I would have made sure that she was comfortable doing something else 
in the story that will still drive um, uh, the character's story onto what the story is. I think that makes perfect sense. I, you know, I, I think it definitely would have made it incredibly difficult to kind of like elaborate on the depth of romance in, in that movie if, if we didn't see them kind of kiss because there's that certain sense of secrecy that is created behind their romance. Yeah. Uh, do you mind commenting on that a little bit? Like, uh, it, it, was there ever like a romance in your personal life that paralleled that, or was this something that you've never experienced before? Um, I, I, um, it wasn't as much of my life, but it was something. Um, w- what I wanted to experiment with Coven mostly was the sense of fear. Mm. You know, Trinity is afraid of her mother terribly. And she is afraid of what her mother will do if she finds out that she's dating not only a woman that she has that her mother hasn't approved, but who is her personal advisor. And it's not like, you know, uh, there were a lot of things where like, oh, so Trinity and Midnight can't date because they're both girls. No, you know, in this world, uh, gay love is allowed because, you know, they're mo- mostly the whole population is women. Uh, so it wasn't about like, oh, they're gay, so that's why the queen doesn't want them to date. It was more like she has to be, Trinity has to uh, fall in love with someone that is approved by the royal family because she has to give birth to the next ruler. And then you said you have a sequel coming out, right? Yes. In the sequel, uh, you call, it was called Downfall, yes. correct? Downfall... Does that include any male characters? Do, is do male do men exist in this world? And they and do. What world do they play? Um, so men in the in the world. So the world is called the lunar provinces. The lunar provinces. Okay. And uh, men in the lunar provinces are mostly um, they're used for reproductive purposes, and as builders. And. Uh, so you know how like in ancient times, medieval times, we would have like the classical brothels and stuff. Sure. So in this world, they are brothels, but it's with men. And since women are the ones in charge and they're the soldiers, they come for the brothels and use them. And uh, and we're gonna dig into a little bit more on on, on that in chapter two because one of our characters um, was kicked out of the coven because she had a a kid that she wasn't supposed to because she was a soldier and stuff right. like that. Um, but yeah, it, it's a, it's a world where, you know, men are mostly used and women are in charge. Sure. And in your mind, is there a way to potentially in this world make them equal or is this imbalance, uh, going to remain for the purpose of switching that table, um, turning that table? Well, cause you know, in this world to them, it's normal. You know, because they don't know nothing else. They don't know nothing different. So, you know, um, but there are men which uh, we were, we are, we want to dig in later uh, that men are starting to rebel and they become witch hunters. Witch hunters. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, um, but that's, you know, further in, in the story as we, as we progress. Is it, is it all written down right now? Yes. It's all scripted? Yeah. How many how many parts or how many chapters does does Coveth does does the Coveth sequels have? Um so my goal is to make it a TV show. Awesome. And uh right now uh there is 10 chapters. Wow. Of everything. How long uh, did that take you to write? 
um, it's been a process of four to five years. Right. Because, you know, first I had to create the world. Um, that's something that um, I learned in, in high school where, like, you, to write fantasy, before you even start writing the story, you have to create the world out of your characters. Is that difficult to do? Uh, yes and no. Because I've never created a fictional world before, me personally. I've always based my stories uh, here in the earth that I know, and because that's easy for me to make an assumption that everyone else will understand this world yeah but you're creating a world right now yeah what 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 are some of the challenges that uh, come along the way um a lot of things that were very hard to do is in a way where people don't go what the fuck did i just read or what the fuck did i just watch you know um in a sense where I didn't want it to be like, you know, if you're reading an H.P. Lovecraft book and you have to, like, go again and analyze what it is. So um, one of the things that I always tell people when uh, writing fantasy worlds is it's good because you have the freedom to write whatever you want because it's your world. But you always have to understand that not everyone is inside your head. So you have to make it in a way where everyone can understand what you're trying to create. Totally. Um, and, uh, what I did to do that is, um, my world is inspired in, um, a lot of the 1300s, 1800s Europe, where it all looks vintagey, you know, mm -hmm. in that way, everything looks Victorian Gothic style. Absolutely. Um, but it doesn't take place in any of those eras. And there are similar things that have happened in our world that happen in their world. So people can understand, like, for example, one of their main villains is, which uh, we will see in chapter two is uh, Plague Doctor. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, very real thing. Yeah, and in their world, the plague is it's even worse than what happened in ours, you know, because the Plague Doctor is not even a person. It's an entity that uh, has come out of their version of the underworld, which is called the Abyss, and has come to restore balance. Wow. Because uh, the Doctor feels that because of all these witches, uh, that their world has, you know, come out of balance and there's too many problems. Sure. So the Doctor has come to establish balance, to kill and restore population balances and all that stuff. No, absolutely. That's which, remarkable. Which is, you know, what basically the Black Plague did in the 1300s. Oh, it absolutely did. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of building worlds, there's a show right now that, that I just started rewatching. I just showed my girlfriend last night. Um, have you ever seen the show Man in the High Castle? Yes. Did you watch Did you watch all of it? Oh, yeah. I just okay. finished the last season and I cried. Really? I, yeah. I haven't watched season four yet. I'm going oh, to soon. It's gonna, really you're good. You're going to love it. Okay, cool. I, I think in terms of like... Uh, TV shows and, and films and just media in general, when when you're creating a world, I think that show honestly has created the world the, in the best way possible. Yes. And it's so fascinating because you watch it and it feels very real. Yeah. You don't really question it. You just yeah. kind of learn with the main characters what this world is about. Yeah. And yeah. it's very eerie. Uh-huh. It feels very similar. <laughs> yeah. You know? And that's, the, that's, and that's the scary part about it, you know? Because... All the events that you're seeing in the show, it seems normal for them. Right. For which, for us, that would be like, oh my God, you know? But but you know what, though? It, it, you know, this is going to be a morbid, cynical comment on my end. The events that take place in that show, which is about 
the what if scenario if the Axis powers of World War II won, and where America is split, the Japanese own the West Coast and the uh, Germans, the Nazis own the East Coast with a neutral zone in the middle. Uh, and the, it's about the Americans who are in the, the resistance and then also the Nazis who are undercover and also Nazis who are not undercover and the yeah. whole entire political dynamics of all that totally has built this world around a world that we kind of know, but we don't. And then you see these things happen. And as Chris pointed out, uh, certain things happen that we are, you know, we, we go like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. But the truth is, these oh, these oh my god moments happen all the time in our society, and that's what makes it so familiar. Yeah, is that literally the only thing different is who's wearing the armband in that moment. Yeah, whose whose identity is who. The tables turning, kind of as you mentioned in your world. Yeah, where instead of there being females in the brothels that we know, there's men in these brothels. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting. In a way, though, does your work kind of act as a certain sort of activism? Um, in a way, uh, especially towards fantasy, because, you know, uh, especially in the late years, uh, fantasy films have been treated as they're just like low story things that aren't worthy of recognition and stuff like that. Um, Game of Thrones changed that. Indeed. And, you know, I'm really thankful for that um, because, you know, even though it's a very strong show. Um, it it didn't give a fuck on be like, hey, this is the world that this guy created, and we're making a show about. If you don't like it, you can go fuck yourself. Oh yeah, you know, and that's what I'm trying to do as well. Like, you know, this is the world that I created. Uh, there are people who are gonna love it. There are people who are gonna hate it. And if you hate it, go fucking take a hike. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and and that attitude somehow attracted so many audiences. Exactly. It's such a huge audience. Exactly. It's amazing. It became a world phenomenon. It's just like Star Wars, you know. It, oh It yeah. was a thing where like you know all the studios were saying no to George, and then he was like, you know what? I don't care if you say no. I'm gonna keep fighting for it. And right. Then, yeah. And it became one of the biggest phenomenons in the world. You know. But, but you know what's interesting about George Lucas's contract is that the studio basically said, we're not going to release this. When he finally gave the studio, he did such a bad job with uh, politicking and debating that what happened was the studio said, we're not going to release this. So George Lucas said, fine, you know what? I'll sign a contract. I I want all the the ticket sales you guys will earn, but all the merchandise I'm going to earn. Yeah. And they thought, well, this is never going to go anywhere, and no one's ever going to want to have merchandise from Star Wars, so fine, we'll do that. Yeah. And now, if anything, the merchandise is probably what sells Star Wars more mm-hmm. than the movies themselves. Indeed. I mean, you go to any... I, I remember, like, I would go to, like, vintage stores, like, um, little, uh, like, a Goodwill, basically. And I think almost every single time I've gone to a Goodwill, there's at least one small old, old vintage piece of like from star wars where yeah. there's a really old-fashioned fake yeah. looking darth vader <laughs> but like me knowing about that contract that george lucas signed that's his paycheck right yeah. there yeah. and that blows me away is that he's been having this consistent cash flow just from the merchandise yep not from anything else he doesn't earn money from the movies not not well i mean yeah now he does yeah but back then he was like he was totally cut off and it totally worked for him yeah and, and it's crazy because, um, so a couple of years ago, like two or three years ago, um, I did, 
I was a collection curator for this uh, producer in Beverly Hills, and he was neighbors with the former CEO of Fox. Wow. And I got to meet him. And he was the person that signed Star Wars with George. Oh, wow. And uh, funny you mentioned that because, you know, when I was talking to him, I was like, what made you say yes to this project? I was like, I don't know. I was like, this fucking kid wants to make a space fucking movie. (laughs) And at the time, you know, I was like, this is going to fucking make us all broke. So I said, you know what? Fuck it. He's... He's done some things. The kid has a name, so let's do it. Let's see what it what it comes to. But he's not getting any of the of the moving tickets. And <laughs> yeah. and George said yes. And then he's like, and you know what? I still fucking regret that because that, that's the stupidest thing I've done. Because like he got all the money and we got jack shit. Right. And, yeah. And yeah. Because he's like, I never knew that Star Wars was gonna be this big hit. Right. Know, and it's like nobody did. No, 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 no. It's not called Star Wars. It's called this space fucking movie. Yeah. That's what it's called. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and it, it, but he was such a great guy. And, you know, he had like a lot of things. And he's like, George is such a humble man because he came in like he was still a film student. Like that's the attitude he has even still today. He was like, he's a very humble man. And he just wanted to make this project and he's like that attitude is what got my respect for him and that's what made me even sign the contract with him even more because to see the passion that this person had for a story that everyone keeps saying no to and then he ended up our conversation by showing me an original piece of the death star that he has at home yeah no that's that's the best uh approach to uh i think i think it, I think that's the best approach to making a film is is the student mentality. Yeah. And those are the best directors. Like one of my favorite directors is uh uh Kurosawa. Mm. Yes. Um and and uh, you know, I've only seen a few of his movies, but every single time you watch his movies, you see that as he's creating it, he's truly developing his craft in the middle of the film and experimenting as much as possible while still maintaining that rich culture that yeah. comes with his culture. In film, yeah, I think that's so beautiful. Yeah, uh, same with Tarantino, who I've name dropped. Scorsese, I think you see like the biggest change in his craft uh, when you watch his movies from his earliest to now. Yeah, like you see them, his his style develops so much, and it's really beautiful. Yeah, you know, I just I just I just like that a lot. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's a thing that you know I try to uh, to do with my projects, like with Coven. I didn't want it to be like. Oh, in your face! This is a this is a world, and give you like a whole explanation about the world in the first act. You know, I did I didn't do that. Just throw the audience in the world and see if they can figure it out. You show, but you don't tell. Exactly. How do you how do you restrict yourself from doing that? Um, I just put myself in. What if I am the camera? What if I'm the camera? You know, what if I am the camera and I am into this room? Okay. And I'm just listening to these people talk. Okay. Yeah. What do you see around you? Like, you know, that's like, because you can tell, you know, when someone's watching a movie, especially like fantasy, there's things that would catch your eye. Like either the set designing or anything. So, like, oh, that looks Victorian. Okay, so it must be a Victorian era. It looks old. And then you hear the characters, oh, they're in a world full of witches. So you don't, you show and tell not by telling, just by showing your surroundings. 
if see. you if you if you show your surroundings and just mention a bit of your world, that is enough for your audience to know where you are and possibly understand the world that you're trying to create. I mean, I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, the fly on the wall approach helps with the the show don't tell mentality and without that then your story is not interesting yeah and one thing that really grinds my gears is that hollywood these days like sometimes when they make like a like a you you can tell when there's a producer who's just making a movie to make to to have a business yeah and there's a producer that's trying to make art yeah the producers that are looking at it just as a business make movies in such an obvious annoying tell but don't show kind of way mm-hmm. there was a the, the most classic the most recent uh experience i had with that was watching the movie midway which i saw with my parents and that movie it tried to tell the story of like the pacific theater in world war ii linearly and i think it failed because it took that linear approach uh also because the cgi and the physics were terrible in the beginning in act one and it was like, why the fuck is this in the movie? I'm pretty <laughs> sure people on YouTube can make this better. Like, <laughs> like my favorite YouTube channel is called Corridor Digital. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they every now and then, will fix a scene, quote unquote. Like, they just did a thing where they turned uh, Order 66 from Star Wars into a rated R uh, into a rated R uh, movie. Oh, yeah, it's great. I'll show you that after this. It's you'll love it. Oh shit. Yeah, you'll love it. Uh, but like, I remember watching it, watching the Midway movie, and being like, these guys could totally fix this movie because they fucked it up. They <laughs> fucked it up. Like this fire doesn't even look real. Yeah. Like I, we already know what happened in Pearl Harbor. It yeah. would just been better if they referred to Pearl Harbor in quick cuts as this <laughs> horrible thing. Yeah. You know that would have been better. But yeah. because they they told and didn't show, it took away. Yeah. You know? It was a disappointment. But it had so much potential. Because the production quality was there. Yeah. And that's, the story's there, too. That's how I feel with, you know, uh, going back to Star Wars again with The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. You know, the most, as, as we say, us hardcore fans, the most hated Star Wars movie of all. Right. Yeah. Because it's disappointing. It's be- uh, like that's how I felt, you know, when I was watching it. I was like Kathleen Kennedy is just making this as to make money. That's what it seems cuz like she's just hiring a guy who hasn't even done a fantasy before who well, I mean he did, but not really. And then gave him the freedom to not follow the Star Wars lore rules and then he made Princess Leia look like Star-Lord, you know? Yeah, it was dumb. Yeah. It was it was very unnecessary. There are so many things that happened in that movie where I was like, Wait, what? <laughs> you yeah. know, it was it yeah. was just it was just so pointless. But you know, but I will say about that movie, I think the one triumph that movie had was I think visually that was the most stunning movie. Yeah. Like there were some visuals that stick out in my mind more than any other Star Wars film. Yeah. Uh the scene where they go into uh hyperspeed and, and, and they and the woman single-handedly blast through the Empire's ship. Yeah. That was beautiful. Yeah. It made me so mad. That scene made you mad? Yeah. But I thought that I thought that scene was just so visually stunning. Yeah. And it just looked like an abstract piece of art at that point. It looks cool. It but, does look cool. But then, you know, I am a Star Wars historian. <laughs> oh, okay. So that breaks uh, Star Wars canon on being like, oh, you can do that. Oh, Why what you a... didn't do that before? Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> no. Right. 
Yeah. <laughs> we could have solved so many issues if we just made a really expensive kamikaze yeah, and blew just, right through these just, spaceships. Let's That's just right. drug a fucking rebel and put him in a ship and go like make him through, go to the fucking Death Star. Right. You know? Better idea. Why don't they just make a really expensive drone? They don't have to sacrifice anyone. Right. They could have just split the Death Star with a really gigantic drone yeah. for space yeah. and just launched it. There were so many things. I was I was recently watching this video that it's called uh, Disney Doesn't Understand Lightsabers. Okay. And they, <laughs> and they were breaking apart the throne room scene fight on The Last Jedi. Okay. You know, which I thought first I was it was like such an awesome fight. Okay. But then I was watching it I was watching this guy break it down like frame by frame. And it's like what the fuck are these people doing? Like, the fighters, you know, the people in the red costumes. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, I heard about w- this. One of them is just standing there. Right. And then uh, at one point, like, Adam Driver makes this, like, move with a saber, and one of them throws his weapons just so he can fall and die. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I was like, that. excuse me? When it happens so fast for the first time, <laughs> even in the big screen, you're like, oh, this looks so cool. Yeah. And, like, visually it does because it's red on red. Very bright colors, yeah. you know, very, very prime colors working against each other. And an abstract perspective, it's beautiful. But then from a stunt choreography perspective, I think uh, even on Corridor Digital, by the way, they did a stuntman react video. Uh-huh. And that was the same thing. They, the stuntman reacted and said, in the stunt coordinator community, yeah. everyone's making fun of this scene. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, feel... how does Ray kicks three people at the same time? <laughs> Yeah. That's a big foot. Right? <laughs> I love seeing videos like that. Like, recently there was a, a trauma surgeon reacting to the injuries from Home Alone. Oh, that's not going to be good. And they would have died right away. The doctor's like, how the fuck these people are still alive? <laughs> like, they must be like gods or something. And, they're very determined. And they're use. like, and this kid should be in jail. Oh, yeah. That kid should be in jail. <laughs> Funny enough, though, um, that that actor from Home Alone, uh, McKellen Culkin? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. He actually came into work the other day at Dave & Buster's. Oh. And at first, I didn't know who he was. I just thought he was a normal crackhead. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, he he walks in, and my manager goes, that's my boyfriend. I'm like, okay, that's great. And he's like, she's like, no, I'm kidding. That's McKellen Culkin. I'm like... Oh, who? The Home Alone kid. Oh, ew, he looks gross. <laughs> like, what happened? What happened? You're like, Baby Gru looks better than him. Yeah, I was like, I-, I said to my manager, you can do better than that. I know he's an actor, but you can do so much better than that. <laughs> yeah. Come on, you don't need a crackhead. You don't oh need a crackhead God. for a boyfriend. I'm, I'm, I think he's missing a few teeth. Like, Yeah. <laughs> it was a bad look. It's like, like, me and Nicole were talking about it the other day. It's like, how many, like, child actors have, like, ruined their careers? Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, we were watching, you know, Freaky Friday and The Parent Trap. And you're like, Lindsay Lohan, man, she had so, such a potential as, as a as a Disney actress. Mm-hmm. And then completely fucked her career up. Oh, yeah. Speaking of which, you know, I, when I was growing up as a kid, my dad did this thing. He really instilled in me uh, not doing drugs. And which is a really great thing. But this is how he would do it. And you tell me if you agree with this approach, okay? We'd be watching TV very casually. Be flipping through the channels. And then an actor would show up on screen. And my my dad would go, hey, see that see that actor right there? Yeah. Dead! Want to know why? Why? Drugs! And I'm like, oh my god. Okay. Oh my god. 
Fuck it. Freaked me out. And like, and like, but there wasn't any education as to like what drugs did what. And so like, I remember like the first time I saw someone smoking weed, I didn't understand that that's a harmless drug. And I was like, I, I, I when someone offered me weed for the first time, I was like, get away from me. <laughs> I thought they were going to, I thought I was going to overdose on weed. I thought I was going to die. I didn't understand. I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't compute that that there's different levels of, of extreme yeah. when it comes to drugs. Yeah. And that was so, like, strange for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one, that sounds like something I would do to my kids. <laughs> <laughs> but I would be that, I feel like, you know, Nicole and I would always have this talks. Like, I was like, what if we had kids? Okay. And I was like, I feel like... That's a subtle way of saying take the condom off, but go on. <laughs> um... <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help. But, uh, we we always talk about how like I would be like the parent who who like tries to frighten their kids. Okay, like like it'll be like, do you like as you said, I'll be like, do you see that dog? Yeah, he's gonna fucking die. Why? Because he's a dog. And then or like something like that. Or, and like, then you show them Marley and me, right? <laughs> or like you know, it's like. Like, the kid comes to Nicole and is like, Mommy, uh, Santa's coming tomorrow. She's like, yay! And then the kid comes to me and I'll be like, Santa's not real. Oh. <laughs> oh. oh. You know, I'm Jewish, but even that hurts me. <laughs> like, that's just, that's just terrible. You're welcome. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of childhood, though, I want to talk a little bit about your childhood. I want to dial it back to your timeline a little bit. Um... Uh, you you were born in Honduras. Uh, when did you first start kind of exploring storytelling a little bit? I would say when I was like around eight or nine, when um because of again because of Star Wars, I watched uh the prequels and yes, please kill me because my first Star Wars films were the prequels. Uh, oh, you know Jar Jar is cinematic genius. Misa? <laughs> but you know what? Fun fact. Sorry, just a little side tangent. Um, fun fact. Jar Jar, the cinematic... the hist- He's actually historically cinematic. And the reason why is because he's the first completely uh, CG animated character mm-hmm. ever on screen. Uh, before that, there was no other character. Yeah. That was completely C- like CGI'd. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because... Before you started saying he was the complete cinematic thing, I was just going to be like, you're so happy I don't have my lightsaber with me right now. Oh. <laughs> Why didn't you bring it? Uh, you know. Oh, that's a podcast. They won't be able to see the pretty colors. It'll yeah, just be you and me. I but... can slice things and people won't tell, you know. Right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I watched Star Wars. So, so picture this. I was in Catholic school. Okay. okay? And... Uh, I was in drawing class, right? Oh, God, what'd you draw? And um, the teacher just recently yelled at me for something that I did, the oh, nun, okay. you know? And then we were in drawing class, and she said, I want you to draw how you feel right now. So I drew all my classmates with the nun being blasted by battle droids. And, oh my god, that's so violent. Yeah. And oh my, my god. <laughs> and every day, you know, the nun would write a report in a notebook, and then I would take the notebook home and my mom would read it. And my mom opens the book and sees the report and she's like, 
why is the nun telling me that my kids needs to go to church more? <laughs> She's like, what the fuck did you do? <laughs> and I show her the drawing and my mom is like, we're taking you to church. No, no, no. My mom said, this looks really cool, but don't do it again. <laughs> again, again, I'm inviting you to the podcast. <laughs> Your mom is awesome. <laughs> she, yeah. And remind you this. She was the one who also, when I was a kid, I watched a movie and I said, I can't wait for Santa to come home. And mom said, Santa's not real. It's your dad who buys you the gifts. Oh. <laughs> yep. Oh. That's why I wear black all the time. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> you do wear black all the time. You kind of wear what you preach a little bit because <laughs> yes. you're, you're, you're there creating, uh, you know, this dark art sort of genre yeah but you wear it as well and yeah. that's kind of, i think that definitely adds to your aesthetic it's it's yeah, cool because you know i always i always grew up with cartoons and stuff with sure. superheroes so i always thought as a kid i would always want to wear a cape yeah you know okay i was always like oh capes are so cool despite what edna and the incredible says um and i was like i always like capes i was like capes so when i like moved out and I I like bought capes and stuff and I would wear them to school and that's how actually I got um uh like my nickname in school is the Dark Lord the Dark Lord because I would just wear capes in public and everyone would be okay with it because it's that was my style of clothing and um uh, and now I wear you know trench coats um and I Nicole can tell you I own different types of trench coats either for summer for winter or just just because i want to wear them because you know i will i will not let the weather get with my style <laughs> you heard it there folks man of style right here and the weather has no part in what he has to wear <laughs> and they're all in black though yes yeah uh so if you ever see me with regular clothing it's because it's laundry day I see. Yeah. <laughs> and it's 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 been several occasions where um, I would be in short sandals and, like, a red shirt. And I would go to school and everyone and, like, somebody would be walking through the hallways and be like, and just stopped and look at me and go, like, what the fuck? And why why were they like that? Oh, because I was normal. regular. I was wearing regular because it was laundry day. Yeah, and one time, <laughs> who actually, are you? What have you done with Chris? Right. <laughs> one of my friends actually took a photo and she posted it on Facebook. And uh, actually, like a couple of weeks ago, uh, Facebook showed me a memory, and Nicole showed me. And she was like, "What the fuck?" Because <laughs> uh, my friend um, Caitlin, uh, she took a photo of me in regular clothing, and then the post said. Don't worry, buddy. I know it's Lunder Day. You'll be back to your dark self soon. <laughs> well, you know what I'm going to do after this? I'm, I'm totally going to go on Facebook and look that up. I, 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 I've seen the pictures of you on, on like Facebook and, and Instagram. I've seen pictures of you through Nicole. But I've never seen this version of Chris. So I will definitely do that research. I will summon that. I will pull it up. And I will just take a gander and appreciate it. I, I for always, all it's worth. I always wonder. I'm like... What if for Halloween I just dress like a normal person? Yeah, and they'll you know? and the people will be like, people who don't know you will be like, who are you? Yeah, literally. <laughs> I and even with uh, when I had laundry days and I go to school, people I would pass by they do not recognize me. Right, they can see past the trench coat. Right, 
because uh, you know I usually just wear a trench coat and then uh, black clothing and either dress shoes or uh, long boots. Sure. And if they don't see any of that, they're like, uh, "Excuse me, <laughs> are you are okay?" Right. Or something like that. Um, but like, cause costumes like that win all the time in my school. Like last year. The costume that won, like, best costume, it was literally just a guy, regular clothing, but he had a sticker that said student loans. Because he's student loans? Yeah, he was student loans. He's like, there's nothing scarier than that. And I was like, you know what? You're right. I mean, I, I can, I'll give that a meh. It reminds me, though, of my best friend, uh, Josh, uh, one year. So, have you ever watched the show Survivor? Uh, maybe? Survivor is a really great reality TV show. I am not... Uh, a reality TV person whatsoever, but Mark Burnett, the the producer of that show, has produced two of my favorite reality TV shows, and he is the only his reality TV shows are the only reality TV shows I care about. It is Survivor and Shark Tank. Those are both great, oh. both great reality TV shows. Okay. But uh, one year, Josh, who is uh, freaky in the sense that he can just bring up information about season one or season ten. Or season thirteen, whatever it is. The key, if you ask him who was the first person voted out of season fourteen, he would know. I bet he's listening right now, and he's going to say the, the answer as he's listening to this because he's <laughs> just that good. Um, it's weird, you know. It's really weird that Josh uh, can memorize this kind of stuff. But wow. anyway, that's the kind of fan he is. He dressed up as Jeff Probst, uh, the host of the show, uh, one year, and he went to the Halloween party, and everyone was like, "Who are you?" <laughs> Because <laughs> Jeff Probst, you know, he really just dresses casually. He dresses in a button-up <laughs> shirt. He dresses in a classic Survivor hat, uh, short sleeves, and, and you know, it's a, it's a good sporty look. It's like a yeah. casual sporty look yeah. that Jeff Probst wears. But it's so funny because uh, <laughs> he was trying to explain to everybody, only I knew who he was. <laughs> it's great. I get. I always see costumes like that in my school. Like, there was uh, this year, there was this one guy who... He was literally just wearing the same thing he wears every day. Okay. But he had a name tag that said Kudenta. Kudenta? Yeah. And then everyone was like, wait, what are you dressed on? He's like, oh, I am a exchange student. And eh. I was just like, eh. okay, you're the reason Thanos snapped. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, I always see things like that. And I'm like, yep, that's why Thanos snapped. Things, that's why Thanos snapped. Things like that, you heard, you heard it here first. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like every time you see something dumb, that like your friends either do something dumb or you see them with something dumb, just tell them that. Or something that always works, just tell them that they are the reasons that shampoo is instructions. <laughs> right. Yeah. That always works for me. That always works. Uh, what Was there a film industry in Honduras when you were there? Um, You know, it's Honduras is not really big on, like, films. Um... There has been some films made in my country, but it's not like something I'll say, okay, that's really awesome. But I just recently found out that they have a film festival. Honduras has a film festival. Yeah, I was like, when I was submitting uh, Coven to film festivals, um, I just saw, I was like, the Tegucigalpa Film Festival, which is the capital of Honduras. And I was like, wait, what? There was a film festival. So it's beginning to... That's a new thing, isn't I, it? Yeah. I, I I think it's, uh, you know, rising. Is, um, is it a big Is it a big uh, film festival? It looked right big. You okay. know, like, there were photos of, like... There was, like... It was this huge event, so... That's great. And yeah. what, was was it uh, an event for, like, 
only Honduran filmmakers? Or, yeah. Okay. Uh, either local Honduran filmmakers or outside Honduran filmmakers. That's remarkable. Uh, I was going to submit, but I couldn't because it, the film needed to have subtitles. And sure. And we couldn't have, which, um, you know, one day I really want to dub coming into Spanish just for my, you know, so yeah. my Spanish speakers, uh, fans and stuff, or even for my family so they can understand it. Um but yeah, that's one of my goals too, because we actually did make an announcement of the film in Spanish. That's great. Um, so yeah, that's one of my goals uh, in the future. I think that's that's awesome, and and you should totally do it. Um, what's next for you after after this podcast? No, what's next for you? <laughs> what's next for you after uh, you know you've been submitting Coveth into uh, different film festivals and whatnot? Uh, is it straight to uh, downfall right after that, or yeah? And when do you graduate? Uh, this is my last uh, quarter in school, so actually uh, in three weeks. Congratulations! Thank you. You excited? Yeah, hell uh, yeah! I already walked, which is funny. <laughs> oh, you did? <laughs> yeah, I walked in summer because I was like, I'm not gonna walk with all the fucking people I don't know. So I, yeah. I, I decided to walk in summer, and um, I actually was awarded the President's Award in our school. Okay. Uh, which is really funny because um, Nicole, when she graduated, she received the President's Award, too. Okay. And Linda, when she graduated, received the President's Award, too. So, so. there's a whole lineage of President's Awards. Yeah. So That's I was awesome. Like, you know, I, uh, I, Nicole likes to say that we surround ourselves with uh, people who follow their dreams, you know. I love that. And, you know, I, I'm not saying this just because she's my girlfriend and I love her, but Nicole has been such an inspiration to me uh, as a filmmaker because um, before we started dating, I was a extra in her thesis film. And, you know, I, I've known her for a while already, and... Um, I was like, I, I was always afraid to like even talk to her sometimes because, you know, she was like an upperclassman. Uh, so I was like, oh, my God, you know, she she knows more than me. She's in like bigger classes. So she's like, I'm, I'm shit compared to her. And then uh, but I always like, you know, found her as a great friend. And I, and I was I always liked her, too. So, you know, I, I was always trying to talk to her. And then when I was an extra on her film, I got to see her work and I kid you not it was one of the best experience that i've seen because you know she, when she enters a room you know she's in charge yeah i get that impression you know yeah and yeah. it was like it was so awesome because her ad was like uh can i can you guys quiet can you guys quiet and then she comes <laughs> out and she's like can i have everyone's attention there we thank go. you there we go you know yeah and it was just so, like, I, I would see her in the background work with her people. And, she, like, she inspired me a lot to look. Uh, I was a very shy person when it comes to, like, networking and talking to people. And um, I always tell her uh, she was such an inspiration to me of breaking that fear and talking to people just by seeing her uh, working with others and talking to people. Um and I've learned, not only since we started dating, but even before, I've learned a lot because of her. Um, and uh, she's, I always look up to her, you know, like something, even when I was shooting my film, uh, and if any obstacle would come, I'll be like, what would Nicole do? And um, she's really awesome. And she always, you know, has a 
she always has a saying uh, on anything, and she always has to. Uh, she she always helps me with anything, you know, questions and stuff that I have, and and I love you know that we can support each other and we're doing um, what we love together, essentially. Um, and uh, you know that she's uh, as we say, you know, it's like we're we are part of each other's dreams, you know, because we are in That's the same beautiful. in the same industry and stuff and. Um, yeah, I, I, she's always, she's such a role model to me, um, as a filmmaker, as a director, cause she, she has the commanding presence that I love, you know, and, um, I feel like I've lost, I've lost my shyness a lot because of her. Yeah. Just by seeing her work. She is an inspirational person. I saw that she just posted, uh, that she, um, for the, uh, like uh, America's Ninja, American Ninja Warrior. Uh, she also just helped uh, with uh, with the production team on uh, is it Dog Ninja Warrior? What's it called? Yeah, it's 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 like uh, uh like well, it's not American Ninja Warrior. What's no, it called? it's like it's for dogs. Yeah, it's yeah. American Ninja Warrior for dogs. I just yeah, saw it's, she posted it's really from the cool. same producer of American Ninja Warrior. Yeah. I thought that was really neat. But the yeah. fact that she got to help, I left this funny comment where I was like, I can imagine what Crafty looked like. <laughs> and then she confirmed it. She was like, they, "There was a crafty for dogs, and there was a yeah. crafty for humans." I'm like, "Oh my god, that's amazing!" And it was so fun because you know every day that she would come from work and we would talk about it, and um, she because you know we both love dogs, yeah, and like how you know she got to drive the doggies around and stuff, and I was like, <laughs> "Oh, I'm so jealous!" Oh my god, because she got to be with dogs around and stuff, and that's she said one, there was one day that they were fighting, and she's like, "What the fuck do I do? These dogs are fighting and barking at each other." <laughs> <laughs> Never had to deal with talent like that before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Overall, what do you want to do with uh, film, with with your movies? Um, I just want to keep you know building up the world that I've created and um and hopefully keep making more uh build other worlds and just introduce people to different scenarios and fantasy. Yeah. Um, you know, not only like mythical and mythological and sci fi and sci fi fantasy, you know, like uh I wanna create films that ha- that would happen in our world, like you know, regular films, but that they take place in other worlds. You know, like, what if, like, there was a show of, like, you know, Grey's Anatomy, but that takes place on another planet? Or what if there is a, um, like, kind of like what Star Wars is doing right now, a Western that takes place on another planet? Yeah. You know, like, something, like, things like that. That's what I want to do. Like, I'm, I'm tired of regular films. I want to do films that take place in, in other worlds because um you know building worlds it's it's really fun and when people are looking into uh those worlds they not only are driven away from for that moment but it makes them think of what if this world was real you know sure. what if i was living in this world i want people to think like that when they're watching my work oh i have no doubt i was going to say i think that all the directors out there and whatnot to progress Hollywood and uh, American TV and film and media where it needs to be going. I think you have the right mindset for it. I think that's just so cool. If someone out there listening right now wanted to contact you to work with you, 
What'd be the we- the best way to reach out to you? Um, uh, either by phone number uh, or my email. Uh, my uh, my work email is allianceanewera.gmail. Uh, they can also check our website, uh, allianceanewera.com. Uh, and there you can see some of the films that we've worked on, the trailers for those films, uh, up, you know, upcoming projects that we have, and some of uh, our members. Because, um, you know, our company uh, takes uh, pride on being, you know, um, I'm the only, there's only two guys in the in the whole board, and everyone else are really awesome, strong, powerful women. Uh, and we uh, take the pride of um, helping women in, in the industry and uh, in creating uh, fantasy sci-fi stories that are driven by really strong female characters. That's remarkable. Sounds like a really great team you work with. Yeah, they are. And now for the final question I will ask you that I ask everybody on this podcast, what will you be famous for? I would say I'd be famous for being the person who create a world, a dark world that is known that you can relate to all the projects, but it's really not, that it's different from everything else, that takes you into a whole new adventure that has never been seen before. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Chris Hiron. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wow, 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 wow. What a great episode. This production took time, energy, and money to produce. To support the growing business of this podcast, go to www.patreon.com slash Mr. Thrive to become a thriver today. That is patreon.com slash mrthrive. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.